anointing people with oil, promised faith healing, and Roman Catholic confession? Oh my! There is something going on in James chapter 5, verses 14 to 15 that has a lot of us confused. And in this episode, I hope that we can figure it out by the end. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. So I am recording this on Monday. Uh, tomorrow night I have a teaching where I am teaching through James chapter 5, verses 7 to 20. And James is a pretty straightforward book, you know, lots of good, simple truths in it. And so as I was preparing, I would get to uh, verses 14 and 15, and I just was really struggling to break down how do I simply explain that this doesn't mean what we may assume that it means. And I was trying all kinds of ways to condense it and condense it, but I really felt it needed to be explained. And I was just like, oh, if only there was a way that I could do something separate to help people understand. Light bulb moment, I'm now in the YouTube game. So I decided to take a, a series of verses that are a little bit challenging and just make a video trying to help kind of break them down a little bit so that by um, us understanding the context of these, maybe this whole thing with oil and, and prayers of faith and uh, confessing to one another to have your sins forgiven, maybe it won't be as confusing. So let's just get into it then. So uh, we're going to uh, start with some context here. So we're going to go back one verse and then read uh, over one verse. So James 5, 13 to 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Pretty straightforward so far, right? If, if something's going wrong, pray. If something's going well, praise God. But then we get to the next verses it says, is anyone among you sick? Then he must pray, or I'm sorry, he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And then he concludes with, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So as I said, the before, the after, those are pretty straightforward things. But the confusion comes in these verses 14 and 15. So here's, here's where we may get hung up. We may struggle to understand what this means for us today or even what it meant for them when James wrote this. So is anyone among you sick? So we naturally assume, oh, well, if I'm ill, then I need to call for the elders of the church so that they can pray for me. That makes sense. Uh, maybe we don't practice that as much today as we are both more connected and also incredibly separated from one another. But that makes sense. You're sick. Have the elders come pray for you. But then it says that these elders need to anoint that person, the sick person, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the effect then is that the prayer offered in faith, so a faith prayer, maybe a faith healing, will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, arguably raised up from being ill or on a sickbed. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven him. And that is where it gets really wonky for us. Why we can we can maybe make an argument for the vast majority of this stuff, especially this was written in a time where the miraculous gifts were still active. But why is is calling my pastor and having him come, you know, ritualistically dump oil on me like we saw happen in the Old Testament with kings and things like that? 
why would my pastor pouring oil on my head and, and saying a faith prayer over me not only make me feel better, but also forgive my sins if I've committed any? And so that's, that's really what we want to ask then, right, is are we being commanded to do this? And especially are we being promised that if we do, God will do what he seems to say in this passage. If we call for the elders and if they bring oil with them, if they pour it on our heads and they they pray and they have enough faith, is that a promise that we will be healed? Because the language there isn't saying maybe, it doesn't say it will help. There seems to be a promise here that if if we call on the elders to do this thing, then then we have this kind of guaranteed result. So the first thing that we need to do when trying to understand this is to look at the word sick. So the the word here that's used is, is anyone among you sick or astheneo? That's the Greek there. Uh, now, whenever we see astheneo throughout the gospel and the book of Acts, it is almost primarily talking about physical illness, right? Physical ailments. Uh, we see it, the word itself 16 times and 15 of those times, it's very clearly talking about physical illnesses. So that seems to be a pretty Loctite case that when James is talking about if anyone's suffering or if anyone's, if anyone's suffering, you should pray, but if you're sick, you should call the elders. However, we need to first understand just kind of some very basics about Bible translation, because we need to remember that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew or in Greek for the New Testament. And so when translators then have to uh, take a word that's in one language and try to bring it over across, they have to make some very important decisions on what word fits best for what's happening here. And so uh, translators, they face these difficult decisions where you have one word, but it can mean something different. And so to give an example of this, I want to look at some translation decisions that are faced when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 12 to 14. So this is where Saul goes to the witch of Endor and basically has her act as a medium and conjure up the spirit of Samuel. Uh, and so it says... And the woman saw Samuel and cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Don't be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Now, this may seem like a pretty straightforward thing. However, that in the middle there, that divine being, that is the word Elohim. Now, if you are passingly familiar with any form of Hebrew in the Bible, you'll know that Elohim is typically the name used when talking about God. Here, however, the witch says that I see an Elohim coming up out of the earth. But the translators here in the Legacy Standard Bible have translated as divine being. Now, we can see this um, in the different Bible translations. Uh, like I said, the LSB or the New American Standard, they translate it as, I see an Elohim or I see a divine being. In the King James Bible, it says, I see gods. Uh, in the English Standard Version, I see a god. And in the NIV, it says, I see a ghostly figure. And so this is the issue that translators face is, 
They see the word Elohim, but they know that she's not saying that she sees the God of Israel coming up, especially because as you look, she saw him as she saw Samuel. She saw him as a human form wearing human clothing. So she knew that it wasn't an, an actual God God like we might think. She knew it was a, a man, but she called him an Elohim. And so translators had to um, basically work through this, look at the context, understand what she meant when she said Elohim, because even though she recognized him as an old man, what this tells us, or what we should assume, what the translators clearly assumed, is that Elohim in this context doesn't mean the one God, but instead Elohim, as you see it used throughout the Old Testament, actually just means any supernatural spirit being. It can be God, it can be angels, it can be the, the souls of humans. Anything Elohim in the Old Testament is just any, any spiritual type of being, including the soul of Samuel. And so they had to translate it based on this context of here's a word that can have different meanings or different implications. What do we, how do we translate this to accurately get across to English speaking audiences what this means? So, so we, we looked at this Samuel passage to help us understand that even though we are seeing a word in the English doesn't mean that that was the best word for the translators to use. So uh, I said, as we go back to the word sick here in James 5, um, astheneo in the gospel and acts, yes, means physically sick. However, whenever we are looking in the, the epistles, the, the writings, you know, of things like Paul and things like that, um, astheneo usually means something that is spiritually weak. So if a person is astheneo, it's not that they are physically ill, but that they are spiritually immature or spiritually weak, spiritually fatigued, um, or it means strengthless, something that is not strong, something that is not mighty. And we see that the 16 times that it's used outside of James, 13 of those times, astheneo very, very clearly does not mean physically ill, but instead spiritually weak or without strength. Um, the, the three times that we see that it does talk about being physically ill, we see it in Philippians 2, verses 26 and 27. This is when Paul was talking about how Epaphroditus was ill and couldn't travel. And then in 2 Timothy 4.20, likewise, very specifically says that Trophimus was sick. So obviously that is what that means in that context. But these other ones might help us better understand what James is actually talking about here. So just for some examples of what this looks like when astheneo means weakness. Um, in Romans 8.3, it says, For what the law could not do, weak, astheneo, as it was through the flesh, God did. In Romans 14.1, Now accept the one who is weak in the flesh, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. Uh, we go on 1 Corinthians 8.12, And in that way, by sinning against the brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 13, 3, since you are seeking proof that Christ speaks in me, he is not weak towards you. He is not astineo towards you, but mighty in you. And so you can see here a fuller list of all the places that we see astineo used as weakness, just to check it for yourself. But it's very clear that in all of these instances, it's not talking about someone being physically sick. 
and in need of physical healing. Instead, it is a very spiritual-based thing, right? Someone's spiritual position or someone's spiritual maturity or just uh, using it as a, a term of, of uh, weakness, right? It's the opposite of being strong. Now, to understand how James uses it and how we should try to understand it, we want to look at astheneo, understanding that it can either mean physically weak or spiritually weak, or physically sick or spiritually weak. We want to look at James in this word in the context of James 5.14 to see if we can better understand which one most clearly fits. And so we are going to have just four pieces of evidence, four clues that I think will key us in on what James really meant when he talked about if someone is sick, they need to call for the elders. So the first is that in James 5.13, we already have physical suffering addressed. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he is to pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? The problem here is that we make this argument that James, or this assumption, that James is essentially repeating himself. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Are you, are you, are you physically um, impaired? Are you having a rough go of, of the physical life that you live? Then pray. And then if things are going well, rejoice. But then also, if you're sick, call for the elders. It's possible that that's what he means. And if this was the only thing we had, then it would be a really dicey case. But it makes much more sense that James is giving three commands on three separate life situations, if you will. And we'll see more about that in a bit. But uh, the first thing here is that we've already talked about physical suffering. And so repeating it as just health sickness makes a little less sense. But we go on. And clue number two is that the word sick in James 5.16 gives us more context on what he's actually talking about. So it says, uh, so if, if anyone's sick, call the elders. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick. Now, this is not astheneo in, in this translation of sick. This is camno. I don't speak Greek. Camno, comno. That is a different word than what was originally used for sickness. You know, if anyone's sick. And this, I think, really seals for us what James is talking about, because he is saying that you will stop being Camno if you call for the elders, if they anoint you with oil, and if you somehow deal with your sins. That's because the only other time we see this word, it is very clearly meaning weary, spiritually weary. This is in Hebrews 12.3, which says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary fainting in heart so that you will not grow camno the same weariness the same translated word that the the translators say is sickness the writer of hebrews says is a spiritual kind of weariness where we we lose hope we lose confidence right we get bogged down spiritually because we're not staying maybe faithful to jesus christ but this is clearly not a physical thing and so Again, when James says that the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is weary, that makes more sense on how we should understand what this sickness actually is and that it maybe isn't the physical thing that we might assume. Now, uh, clue number three is that the restoration of the sick person is also a spiritual thing. So look here where it says the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, right? Uplift him, pick him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. 
So this does not make sense outside of Roman Catholic perspective. This does not make sense to say that if we are physically ill and we call for the elders to pour oil on us and they pray with enough faith that we will be physically restored and also have our sins forgiven. That just doesn't make sense on any anything that the, the Bible has revealed anywhere else. What makes much more sense is if this is a spiritual fatigue, a spiritual weariness, a spiritual weakness, and we are calling on the elders to come to us and they are praying with us and praying over us, that there will be, along with that, dealing with sin. There will be a counseling and God will basically restore us, right, from being downtrodden to being lifted up. God will will raise us up and forgive the sins that we confess to him, as First John says. And then uh, last clue here, as we are trying to understand the context of what sick means, is that the next verse isn't isolated. So it says, after, um, you know, your, your sins will be forgiven, therefore. Now, therefore is a key word. Anytime we're reading the Bible, therefore means because of what I just said, because of the truth that was just revealed, now understand this or now do this. So what he says is that because the person who is weary, when they call on the elders and the elders care for their souls, when there is confession, when there is prayer, that person will be spiritually restored. They will be lifted back up. God will not abandon them to their sinfulness and the, the spiritual weariness that comes along with that. Because that is true, because there is power in prayer and value in, in confessing our sins to one another, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This isn't physical healing. He just dealt with a spiritual fatigue, a spiritual weariness. So you can be spiritually healed and the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So here we're seeing physical, physical healing does, it, it may make sense when we isolate it, but when we read it in the context of what's happening, when we see how the word is used elsewhere, we start to see that this astheneo, this, if you are sick, doesn't really make sense to be physically sick and then have your sins forgiven because you're prayed over. Instead, what makes much more sense is that James already talked about what to do if you are suffering in anything in life, anything physical, to pray. Pray by yourself, pray with others. If things are going well for you in life, then rejoice. But outside of your physical life and outside of a successful Christian life, if you are spiritually weary, if you are spiritually weak, then call on your pastors and have them pray over you. And in walking through that process, God is going to restore you. That makes so much more sense than anything else. It may not be as spectacular. It may not be as mysterious, but it is much more in alignment with what God's word reveals elsewhere. Now, understanding that, understanding that the sick person is, is spiritually weary, the rest of what's said now makes more sense. So why are we, are, why are the elders, excuse me, called to anoint their head with oil. Again, we may we harken back to kind of the Old Testament where it's this ritual anointing and there's this great spiritual significance to it. But in the context of when this was written, the oil made much more sense to the audience there. Uh, we can see uh, Jesus actually dealing with oil anointings on the head 
in Luke 7:46. So he's eating at the house of a Pharisee and the woman comes in and anoints his feet with perfume. And G and you know, when there's complaining, Jesus looks at this Pharisee and says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. This is that same understanding of anointing. Now, what is going on here? Jesus is pointing out that, you know, this guy, this Pharisee is, is just aghast at what's happening right now. You know, how, how can this be happening? This is terrible. This is not proper. And Jesus basically says, Hey, you did not follow the, the, the customs of hospitality by anointing my head with oil. What he's saying, what, what, uh, the, the customs in that day were, was to anoint someone with oil. It wasn't to take like a big jar and pour it over their head, but instead to kind of rub their head with oil. And this was a sign of honor to the person, or it would be a sign of, of tenderness and care for that person. So what Jesus is saying is you didn't show me honor as a guest in your house by, by, you know, putting oil on me. And yet this woman has anointed me with more than just oil, but with costly perfume. We translate that over to James then. And what James is saying is that when we call on the elders to, to come to us when we are spiritually fatigued in their culture, they would rub them with oil. They would bring oil with them because that is a sign of, of tenderness of in a sort of intimacy, right? That was how the elders in that culture would care for that person. Today, it might be bringing a meal. It might just be sitting with someone for a long time, whatever it is. The oil part is, is a cultural thing, but the intention, the idea behind it is that calling the elders and the elders are going to come. They're going to honor you. They're going to care for you. They're going to be gentle. They're going to be loving. They're going to be there to give you what you need from them and what God has called for them to do. Next. Calling the elders. Why specifically the elders? Why can't we all just go out dumping oil on people? Besides the whole uh, context thing. Reality is that if someone is spiritually weary, if they are struggling spiritually, that is one of the elders' main jobs in that person's life. Now, an elder or pastor, whatever you call it, they've got a lot of responsibility on their plate. But one of their responsibilities is to care for the spiritual health of those that God has put under them in their local church. Look at what Hebrews 13, 17 says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is talking about spiritual leaders, pastors and elders. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Pastors take their job seriously, right? If you have a good pastor, you know you have a good pastor when he is most concerned about your soul. Not just if you are a Christian or not, but the strength of it, the health of your soul, right? How are you doing in this life? Are you spiritually strengthened? Are you serving well? Are you loving God as much as a sinful person can? Or are you weak? Are you weary? Are you at risk of falling away? Are you falling away? A pastor, when they, when they know that there is someone who is weak, who is weary, who needs spiritual care, that pastor is there to take care of them. The, the oil and the whole pastor thing, you know, there's not this like super apostolic power that a pastor has. A pastor, we simply call on them to fulfill their duties, right? To do what God has called them to do, to teach us, to equip us, but also to care for us when we're weary, spiritually speaking. Now, the, mo the weirdest one, what's the deal with forgiving sins? We need to understand that this is a snapshot of what uh, something that's been called soul care, biblical counseling, pastoral care, whatever you want to call it. James in here is summarizing what can often be a very long process. 
But ultimately, the forgiving of sins is not if the pastor prays really well, that person's prayers are forgiven, as though the pastor has the ability to just forgive those sins on their own. Instead, our spiritual health, right, our, our restoration, right, our getting off of this, this spiritual deadness, this spiritual emptiness, and getting back into following Jesus Christ actively and passionately, it requires us to walk in obedience to Christ, but also repentance from sin. Look at what Psalm 32, 1-5 to says. So it says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression would be sin. Whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Listen to that weariness. Listen to that brokenness. If you've ever struggled with depression, you know exactly what he's talking about. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my strength, my life essence was drained away as with the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed. I repented. And my iniquity I did not cover up. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's what we're talking about. How do sins get forgiven when we call on pastors to come pray for us, to come care for us, because they're not just going to drive by, dump some oil, pray and leave. They are going to walk with us for hours, days, weeks, months. A good pastor, one who takes his job and calling from God seriously is going to walk alongside you. He's going to plug you in either under his own care or another pastor They are going to care for you. They are going to help you walk in obedience, understand why you feel the way that you feel, why you're weary, why you're downcast, why your bones feel like they're wasting away, why God's hand is pressed heavily upon you. They're going to help you identify the sin in your life. They're going to help you take those steps of obedience and doing what you're not doing and confessing to God and turning away from the sins that you've been concealing or that you've been ignoring, or maybe you just weren't even aware of. But your pastor wants to help you. Your pastor needs to help you. That's why he's there. And so when you're weary and you call for the pastor and he comes and he cares for you, he takes loving steps to walk with you. In time, God is going to restore your spiritual health, your spiritual strength. And those sins that led you there, the, the doubts, the, the distractions to worldliness, whatever it is that has led you to a point of falling away from God, God will forgive those sins. Not because the pastor has enough faith, not because you have enough faith, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Those sins are forgiven forever and completely. And God is not going to hold them against you. God will restore you. God will set you back on the path that he designed for you to be on. But it can't happen if we sit there and stay in our sickness and reject the authority and the care of our pastors. It's not going to happen if we are just isolating or if we are just wallowing in our sin, wallowing in our worldliness. It's just not going to happen. But that is what James is calling us to. Through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James is saying, if you are soul weary, Go to your pastor. Go to that person who God has called to serve you in this way, who he has equipped to care for you. And if you don't have a pastor, that's another sign that you need to walk in obedience. 
You need to be in a local church. You need to have a pastor that God can put over you, not to boss you around, not to make you feel bad, not to take advantage of you, but to care for your soul. So what is James 5, 13 to 15 saying in essence? That if you are physically suffering, then pray. Whether you are physically ill, whether there's disease, whether there is suffering, death, whatever it is, lost job, whatever, pray. But not just on your own. Pray with God's people because we are very much in this together as a family. If you're rejoicing, sing praises. And don't just sing those praises on your own or alone in your car. Invite God's people in to rejoice along with you, to, to sing praises to God for how he's acting in your life. And if you're spiritually weak, right, if you are astheneo, not sick, not physically sick, if you are weary in your soul, then God will restore you when you seek counseling from your pastor and walk in repentance. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's not an abracadabra, you know, pray enough in faith and God will, will you know, heal your, your limbs or your disease or your cancer or whatever. No, that's not what God promises. God does not promise us freedom or healing from physical problems, he does promise us restoration in our souls when we walk in obedience, no matter what else life throws at us. When we walk in obedience, when we walk in repentance, that is the guarantee that God gives us through James 5. He will restore us to what he desires, which is spiritual health, not weariness, not weakness, not death. So the basic idea that we're getting at here is God is attacking basically every moment of our lives. He is calling for us to seek him during every moment. Because in your life, things are going to be going well, either spiritually or physically, right? Your circumstances will will have times that you can rejoice. And that's where you should sing praises. Your life will have times where things are physically hard, whether it's poverty, whether it's, you know, body stuff, whether it's, you know, just whatever. You're going to have times that you are physically suffering. And that's when you pray. And you're going to have times where you are spiritually suffering. And that is where you pray, but you also call on your pastor, your elder, to come care for you, to come be a tool as God restores you back on the path of walking faithfully with him. So that is a brief explanation of what was a confusing passage, but I hope makes a lot more sense now that when we're called to uh, have the elders come anoint us with oil. That is just a sign that the elders are caring for us. Culturally, the oil makes sense today, maybe not so much. Um, you know, the prayer offered in faith is just your pastor walking faithfully with you, praying alongside you, counseling you. When you're restored, you're not physically restored. You're restored with a right relationship with your God and with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And this whole idea of maybe Catholic confession just doesn't make sense. Instead, we better understand it as a as we are walking through that process of restoration, of identifying sin, of walking in obedience. We confess our sins to God as the psalmist did, and we know that he forgives us. So I hope this helped. I hope this has equipped you to better understand what James is talking about and also helped you better understand just how to live this life. If you are suffering, pray. If there's rejoicing to be had, bring others in and shout praises to your God. And if you're spiritually weak, if you're spiritually struggling, then take advantage of the man that God has placed in your life, because that is what he is there for. I'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.